0: Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator.
1: And I'm Elliot Bruce, and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way.
0: So, whether you know your red giants from your redshifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, Join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts.
1: Okay, Ro. Sorry. (laughs) I didn't even get it right. It's so Ro. Jeez.
0: (laughs) Welcome to part two of What Has Space Done For You?
1: Uh, Yeah, so last time we talked about satellites, which turns out they have done and are continuing to do quite a lot for us, um, including counting penguins. Um, So if you've not listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to that. Um, But in this, we're going to talk about some of the more, I guess, literal down-to-earth things. Um, Yeah, yeah. some
0: of the more, a more random collection. Yeah. of things brought cause... to us by space and um, space technology and our efforts to explore space.
1: Yeah, because um, going up into space, like we talked about last time, you know, there's different environments, both in terms of our understanding, but also in terms of, you know, we didn't necessarily need to deal with that before, so we never bothered to invent things. Um, yes. Whereas here, um yeah we're talking about some of the things that we brought back to us having developed them generally for
0: yes else. for either being in space or getting to space
1: yeah
0: both very um strange situations mm-hmm. to find yourself in as a human being and um like you say we had to learn a lot about how to do that safely mm. comfortably mm-hmm. um and some of those things have been have found a place in everyday life. Yeah. Um, yeah. One way or another.
1: Yeah. Yeah, some of those are from launching satellites, using satellites. Other ones are from sending people to the moon or potentially beyond the ISS as well. And I guess similar to what we were saying at the beginning of the previous episode... There's maybe, again, a caveat of, oh, well, maybe somebody would have um, designed this in a way. I think with some of these, it's less likely, and some of it is just sort of, it came out of that history. Or some people have claimed that it's come out of the history of space.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think some of them are maybe more weird than others. Some of them are maybe more normal things. Mm. And like you say, maybe we would have eventually come up with that anyway. Um, But we didn't until that point. Yeah. You know, and so I guess there's still some value in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, materials, for example. A lot of the materials that you... You know are uh, maybe used to having in your house in your life you know they've been designed they've come up been come up with over however long um to to fill a role in your normal life mm. you know um cotton clothing has been around for a really long time woolen mm-hmm. jumpers whatever there are obviously newer newer materials um but they've kind of they've come about to fill a particular role of earth life yes, when you go to more extreme environments, whether mm. that's the literal space mm-hmm. or sitting on top of a huge amount of fuel that's about to explode underneath you and shove you into space yeah a lot of materials have to be different (laughs) they have to they have to be able to withstand these environments
1: yeah and as well as you know if you've got a rocket and you send it up into space you've got massive forces going on as you launch yourself up there but also you've got like Um, the rockets themselves are going to be incredibly hot. Then once you get up into space, Mm -hmm. it's then incredibly cold. And if you've got anybody inside there, they probably don't want to be that cold. Or that hot. Um, (laughs) And then if you want to bring those people back, which they would probably quite like, um, you're then going to make sure they don't get too crispy (laughs) when they come back in, (laughs) back through the Earth's atmosphere. So there's a... Not only is it... um, Extreme conditions, there's also, like, uh, completely opposite extremes yes. of high pressures, low pressures, high temperatures, low temperatures. Yes. Um, yeah, all of all of the above.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, especially when you've got, like, three people in a tiny little can. Um, yes. Which just sounds a bit like hell, to be honest. Mm. But, yeah.
0: So, one example of such a, a material from brought to us from
1: space not from not from space not we've not mined it from a meteor yeah
0: (laughs) but brought to us from us going into space um foil blankets Um, right they've got lots of different names so perhaps our listeners might know them by a different name uh mylar blankets um, so I know them as foil blankets or mylar blankets. Okay. Also, emergency blankets or first aid blankets, um, safety blankets or thermal blankets.
1: Surely, most blankets are thermal.
0: In some way, you <laughs> hope so. Uh, weather blankets, heat sheets, or shock blankets.
1: So I guess some of these different names are also relating to like the different things that you would use them in, right? Yes. So. Um,
0: Yes. So they are the shiny silver blankets that you, that don't really look like blankets, Mm. but you might have seen them if you um, go hiking or you do outdoor stuff, you might have had one um, in like an emergency pack, or you might have seen them um, if you are a marathon runner, or you watch people marathon running, they give them out after marathons, Um, if there has been some sort of Accident or something, um, hopefully you've not been involved, <laughs> but maybe you've seen on the news um sometimes they will have them at uh, ambulances to give them out to people yeah, yeah. Um, so these are the foil blankets of which I speak. they were invented in nineteen sixty four apparently um, and it was a scientist at the National Research Corporation that discovered. Um, that if you had a metalized film, which um, was what they used in satellites, mm. that kind of classic shiny silver yes thing,
1: which I always think makes them look so bad.
0: Yes, you always oh. comment on it. Um, that this could also be used to keep people warm.
1: So is that like a sort of like a plastic film with, that's then got metal on top? Is that kind of the was so a metalized film, it's both yes. like a metal film. Yes. Because I guess you don't want to just, you know, aluminium foil isn't great for... Maybe
0: not quite the best.
1: But yeah, okay.
0: Um, so it's so relatively
1: strong, a... but also like reflective.
0: Yes, they're highly reflective. And this ensures that most of the heat is reflected back mm. and doesn't escape through blanket, so either it doesn't escape out or it doesn't escape in.
1: Yes, so you if don't. You, see what I mean. you don't fry if you put it around a person, then it kind of keeps them at body temperature. Yeah. So you can do it in a extremely hot environment, like after a fire or something, for instance, or near a fire. Or you could do it um, in extreme cold and keep them warm yes. in a what I would normally think of as a blanket. Like if it's too hot. I'm not putting a blanket on. But yes. in this case, I would want to put a blanket on.
0: Yes. So, yes, and then they were originally then sold as part of survival packs. and um, But in the 70s, they started also being used for marathons. Um, it's very normalised now, I think, for it to be a marathon thing.
1: Why is that? So you've run a marathon? Is that?
0: <sighs> Running a marathon puts your body through... Uh, it's an incredibly strenuous event.
1: I mean, I find it quite strenuous to run any distance. So. Um, it,
0: it can be quite dangerous. Right. Even if you are a very fit individual, healthy, fit individual.
1: Um, so, that, like, when you stop, you don't want to, like, all of a sudden, you know, you've just spent all the energy. Is it yeah. that you don't want to suddenly freeze? Is that the idea, or
0: yeah, basically you you've used a lot of energy and people can't always regulate their body temperature.
1: Right, so you just want to keep um, it.
0: It's kind stable. of like you know, like them being a shock blanket. So if you if you are in shock, um, that kind of thing can happen, and it can have very, very serious um, consequences. And it's kind of, a, I guess, a similar thing, but physical. Yeah.
1: It's like yeah. a physical Plus shock.
0: Plus a whole bunch of other things of going clothes. on. I'm not a, a sports scientist. Yeah. So. so they're incredibly thin and lightweight, um, which is obviously fantastic for space, um, but it's also very useful in general.
1: <laughs> yeah, everything about space is make it light so we don't need to spend too much fuel to get up there. And then make it very, very effective at what it does.
0: Yes. Yeah. You mentioned them having that thin sheet of plastic in them. Well, apparently it's often PET film. Okay. And then that's coated with, you know, that metallic reflecting agent. Mm. Um, that makes it a metallized polyethylene terephthalate.
1: Terathalate, <laughs> but it's one it's it, it's one of those yeah. annoying things where it's a P H T H. Yes because chemists they mm-hmm. just they're just fun guys.
0: Um uh, which makes an M-pet. M pet. M M P E T. Okay. Um so they're often silver, but they can be gold as well. Which one would you rather? Silver. Yeah, I'd say that too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's just taste. Yeah, a personal
0: taste. um, and it reflects up to ninety-seven percent of radiated heat. Okay. So it's pretty effective at what it does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't have any comparison to that, but I guess you don't need to because it's almost a hundred percent. So that's yeah, all you it's, need. Yeah,
0: it's pretty good.
1: And I guess when you got the the plastic, it's as well as it being lightweight, you're probably not gonna. It's relatively re- robust, right? It's not aluminium fi- film that's gonna
0: yes.
1: be torn. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's foil blankets, but um, lots of other things. You yeah,
1: know, things that, also a, come
0: from space.
1: A similar, a similar thing as well, isn't there? Of if, um, if you've got astronaut suits to basically protect you from extreme temperatures, um, and also you know keep your air in and not let. The vacuum of space, in, or if that makes sense, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's one of those things that you get taught in primary school. Is uh, in science? No, that's not how that works. Heat goes out, uh, air yeah. goes out. Vacuum doesn't come in.
0: Yes, but it sounds like it's all the, relative. Like the darken.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, but basically, that's kind of similar to a fire, fire suit. So um, some firefighting suits are based on or very similar to astronaut suits. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got, like, a sort of... You know, they're fire-retardant, they're heat-resistant, and... Yeah.
0: Yeah. All in all, they are life-preserving suits. Yeah. Because that's ultimately what an astronaut suit is. You know, we call them, like, astronaut suits, but they're life-preserving suits, and that's exactly what firefighters need to
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, other firefighting kit is available but um, you know that doesn't mean that firefighting hasn't necessarily benefited from space have you know what I mean
0: yes yeah it's not as if there were they didn't invent fire suits
1: but they've added to the range of things available
0: yeah um other other materials include shock absorbent materials um which are currently used as protection for buildings, bridges, whatever, against earthquakes. Okay. Right um, When you have a shuttle that you are launching into space, <laughs> mm. it experiences a huge amount of force and, um, you know, extreme <laughs> things from from the launch, and so does the launch pad. And you want to protect your your shuttle, primarily, um, and for it to not be damaged in the launch. But you also, ideally, don't want to damage your launch pad either. It would be inconvenient to replace that every time. Oh, yeah. So, obviously, they've had to find ways around that and materials that can be used to um, ensure that launch can happen safely Mm -hmm. and successfully. And that involves a lot of shock-absorbent materials, which, you know, are useful in situations like earthquakes. Where
1: you want to absorb other shocks.
0: Yeah, you want to protect your buildings, your bridges, whatever, so that they don't fall down, cause damage, injury, Mm -hmm. economic Mm
1: -hmm. cost. Yeah, and I think also that's... Another one of those things where I feel like you learn it as a kid and you're not entirely sure why you learn it as a kid, but, like, um... You know, when you want to build a building, you, and in an earthquake zone, it needs to be able to like move with the earthquake, not yeah. fight against the earthquake. Yeah.
0: Um, and I guess again, similar... It's like you say. It's not as if this idea has come from space. Yes. Um, lots of com- countries, primarily Japan, lumps to Yes, are very experienced in. How to construct buildings that will survive and be safe during earthquakes, yeah um but it's always beneficial to have new ideas on how to do that, yeah, um, and new technologies and materials on how to do that, because what is great for one building or one situation is not necessarily great for all buildings or all situations, yeah, yeah, um.
1: I think on a, on a very different and much more mundane level, one thing that I personally have benefited from, so thanks, NASA, because um, I think this is NASA, <laughs> um, but um, I have scratch-resistant coatings on my glasses, which mm-hmm. I think is now, like... I think as a kid it was, like, optional, but now it's, like, yeah, they all come with that. Right. It feels like... Yeah. It feels like, anyway. Uh, maybe it depends on who your opticians
0: yeah, yeah, are. Yeah, your glasses providers are. Well.
1: But, yeah, um, th- they didn't want um, their astronauts having scratches on their... On their, on their helmets. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the helmet visors. So, yeah, and then after they developed that, then um, people uh, decided we could also do that on glasses,
0: mm-hmm. amongst other things. I'm glad that you brought that up, because that was also on my list of things to mention. Yeah. Because I think it is applicable to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it's not... um, It's not like a a big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not shock-absorbent earthquake protection or or firefighter's suits or something. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not... It's not something big and impressive in that sense. Mm -hmm. But... It's just one of those things where it is impacting on so many people's lives and just helping. Like, it's not a massive deal, yeah. but, like, it's so inconvenient mm-hmm. getting scratches mm-hmm. on your glasses and then you can't see, you know, and then you have to go and get another one. But actually, your glasses were fine. Yeah. You know, and so you've ended up just, like, replacing something that was otherwise fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because of this one tiny issue...
1: Mm-hmm. that didn't need to be an issue and now mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And um personally, I do kind of... I wait until my glasses are scratched to the point where I can't really see out of them anymore and I can see more clearly without my glasses than with them uh, before I get a new pair of
0: glasses. I hope not because... <laughs> I know what your prescription is, and I really hope that is not the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the case. Um, so, you know, without that, then I'd probably be going, like, every week or so. I don't really know what I do to them, but... Um,
0: That's really worrying.
1: Yeah. No, I, I leave them for a, a few you years. You do leave
0: them quite a long time, which, yeah, because you don't. they don't need replacing. Mm-hmm. And also, aside, not really related to this, but... It's more effort and more money a lot of the time to get your lenses replaced mm. now. Never used to be like that, but yeah. now it's cheaper to just get new glasses. Yeah, um, which is then a bit of a situation when it comes to scratches. Cause, yes. Yeah, what a waste.
1: But um, yeah, I think that's scratch-resistant coatings are maybe something that you know somebody might have come up with that, like in a different application or even four glasses like however long later but it it came out of space right Mm -hmm. and i think also the great thing about nasa you know when you need or or any of them but when you need uh, any space agency when you need something that is light and does its job really really well then and you have a lot of funding you can do that otherwise you just kind of like make do yeah Um, Yeah. You know, like, it's an accepted issue that your glasses scratch, so why bother changing it? Because, um, you know, there's no benefit for any individual company to necessarily spend a lot of money to change it because everybody's the same. That's just how glasses work, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it brings technology forward in the sense that, like you say, probably that would have happened eventually um, when it became a way to sell glasses and make your product different or something mm. but um we got it sooner because they needed it and yeah. they needed it to be you know very efficient and very good at what it did yeah um yeah
1: yeah and a similar kind of similar to that in a way is um solar power solar cells so, um, you know, nowadays, solar power, is it not like the the cheapest power now? Mm. Solar photovoltaic. Yeah,
0: that's photovoltaic, so cheap.
1: Um, they're like the cheapest form of electricity generation. But when they were first created, I think the first practical um, solar cell was in, like, 1954... And, um, you know, they were not efficient at all, right? I mean, nowadays we talk about, I don't even know what the number is, but it's like above 10%, which sounds awful, right? But that's basically we get so much energy from the sun at such a different, like, a range of wavelengths that is kind of meaningless, the sort of efficiency um, that people put around and like, oh, they're highly inefficient and it's like, yeah, they are, but in that same way, plants are inefficient, but they seem to work all right. Um, yeah, you
0: don't need that amount of energy,
1: like... Yeah, and it's also, and like... you
0: can't extract it from all of those wavelengths all at once. Yeah,
1: so... So, but, you know, that's, like... The efficiency at the beginning was, like, so poor, but they were also, like... They were still incredibly lightweight for the energy that they gave out, and when... They were added to Vanguard One, which was a satellite launched by NASA, and actually only the fourth satellite to have been launched at all. Wow! And it's still orbiting. We don't wow. we don't talk to it, but it's the oldest orbiting um, thing, which is kind of weird. It's like I guess it's the oldest satellite of Earth after the Moon, I guess, um, which is kind of a weird thought. Um, but yeah, that was, like...
0: One of the oldest bits of space junk,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, it's, like, 1960-ish. And it was only because NASA was able to provide so much money. You know, they were, like, hideously expensive at the time, yeah. but they were the best option for them. And that was how, originally, um, solar cell development was... Funded was by their use in satellites because, and then later, like other space things, um, because that was the only sort of place where application made sense because you needed them to be lightweight uh, and people were prepared to spend a lot of money. Um, And out of those sort of early types of solar cells, we've ended up with solar power, solar panels that we have today. Um, I think they're slightly different, but you know, the um,
0: yeah, it all comes it from that, all the that development. along because they have the money and the time and the resources to spend on improving it to the the level that they need. At which point, it becomes more viable um, for other people to do it.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you know, a completely different sort of area is that of health. You know. Uh, and it's all based on putting people into space is quite yes. a weird environment for them to be in for multiple reasons, you know. So, for instance, they can't just make a sandwich up there, so you've got to give them, like, really horrible, like, I don't know, food pastes and things. Yes. Um. But then...
0: But you still need to ensure that they're getting... Adequate nutrition. Yeah. Um, and if anything, they need it more than most people mm-hmm. because you can't afford for things to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you have to be very careful with that. And that leads to one of my favourite, just in the sense that it's weird, yes. <laughs> um, favourite applications of... The enrichment ingredients to ensure that the astronauts were getting, you know, correct nutrition, vitamins, minerals, etc. When NASA put them in space, these enrichment ingredients that they put in their food are now being used in baby formula.
1: Mm. Which I think they should put on the label, you know?
0: Space technology.
1: Well, no, I think they should be like... (laughs) Baby formula approved by astronauts, or yes. something, you know. Approved space food, like you say, approved by astronauts. Yeah, or accepted by astronauts, <laughs> maybe. Yeah,
0: um, I guess it probably doesn't taste much because it's not exactly like they gave the astronauts baby formula. No, like it's no. it's the it's the you know the enrichment aspect yeah. of the baby formula. That's and the
1: same. Nowadays, they have like dehydrated and like freeze dried things, don't they? That are nicer than still doesn't sound particularly appetizing.
0: But yeah, I think some foods on in space are nicer than others.
1: Yeah. Which is true on Earth as well. So
0: Yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. Um but also another another um, thing for astronauts is that, you know, when you send someone up you want to check that they're vital systems are all okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and so that led to like um electronic monitoring of like pulses and other medical things that I am unaware of. Uh, <laughs> um yeah. and that then that system was then used for basically like ICU and just sort of routine like um monitoring of things. So if you go into a hospital and they want to do any sort of form of checkup, as well as like your blood pressure which i don't think is from space but it could be Mm. uh, with like the little oxygen yeah they
0: do on your finger
1: that kind of thing yeah or um
0: and they're so cheap to make
1: yeah um so that is based on um i think the apollo missions originally maybe maybe even earlier than that um but that's also the same sort of thing is actually used in, you know, little insulin pumps that they like release insulin if you've got diabetes yeah. and they like monitor your blood sugar. Yeah. And then once it reaches a threshold, it like releases how much insulin. So then you're not like having to stab yourself with a
0: yeah.
1: EpiPen every however often. And also monitor your own blood pressure and like prick your blood Thumb sugar. all the yeah. time um yeah that is again based on the same sort of thing um from basically monitoring astronauts like everything yeah. uh which is kind of insane um and I guess maybe you know again it's
0: the um there's a will yes to do it and because of that you you start off making the technology to the point where it becomes more viable mm-hmm. for other other people and companies to then decide that they'll invest in in pursuing that and changing that and modifying or potentially improving mm. that um, at the end whilst there would always have been a demand for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology just wasn't in the place to... Yes. Um, yeah. For that kind of to happen.
1: And I think um, a lot of things seem to come from Apollo or near Apollo. Uh, and I don't know if that's just related to the fact that a lot of health things in particular are like... Once we got people up into space, we we like knew that they were fine or to get there in the first place, we had to develop things, if you know what I mean, and yeah. there's not been so much since then. But I, sort I of... mean,
0: since then, there's a lot of research that goes on into health in microgravity or whatever.
1: Yes, and also, like, longer-term things, yeah. right? Like, if you're up there for six months or
0: something. Um, but <laughs> we didn't really know what would happen yeah. to a human in space because it had never been done before. Yeah, You know, and so, as with anything, the steep learning curve was very steep then Mm -hmm. by comparison to now. And there were certain questions that they needed some sort of answer to or some sort of confidence in being able to manage situations. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so the technology probably boomed then a bit more Mm -hmm. than now just because the demand was...
1: Yes.
0: Kind of higher in a different yes. way.
1: Yes, because we knew uh, they'll probably be fine, but, you know, what's the sort of long-term effects as opposed to just, will this person actually survive? Yeah. Uh, because we don't really want to, like, talk about, like, we launched somebody into space and... Um, yeah. Yep. That's... Yeah. Yeah, but a slightly sort of... Uh, lopsided is the wrong word, but lateral, maybe, uh, sort of uh, application of space technology to health, is um, when they were doing the Apollo um, missions and they were taking images of the moon, they wanted to um, basically process all of these images using computers to improve the images. And... I think maybe even, like, sort of start to understand the, like, topography, almost. Right. Um, But basically those same techniques or the same sort of digital processing of images is what then led to the the computer processing of, well, computer...
0: Computer topography. Topography or computer-aided topography
1: Mm -hmm. uh, and MRI scans. So, you know, that's just taking pictures of the moon. But, again, the the nature of processing those images has then been used in a medical setting, Mm -hmm. which I think, again, you know, tech is, like, a big sector and possibly probably would have been otherwise. But, like, I feel like... Computers, one of the first big uses were space-related, right?
0: Yeah.
1: After, like, code-breaking. Yeah. So yeah. would we have CT scans and MRI scans if we didn't have space science?
0: Maybe. Yeah, we'd probably have something similar, but um, how long would we have had to wait for it again? And um, I don't know. Maybe yeah. it would have been the same. Maybe it would have been different. Yeah. Um, I like to think we would have eventually come up with something similar because they're obviously very useful. Mm-hmm. And I like to think eventually there would have been like, hey, there is a demand for this thing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But, yeah, how long would we have to wait? We don't know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of tech comes from space, like you say. So another example of... A couple of examples, actually, of things that... Um, probably most of our listeners if you know... Uh, maybe not all of them, but probably most of them use pretty regularly, or have used...
1: They could be using them right now, real listening to this.
0: Yeah, they could be using both of them right now. Um, Wireless headphones... So they were developed because they didn't want astronauts to get all tangled and trapped in wires while communicating um, with each other and, and uh, people on the ground.
1: Yeah, the, like wires on headphones are bad enough when, you're, when you've got gravity. When you've got
0: gravity, or When yeah. you're
1: floating around and yeah. twirling around.
0: How awful would that be? Um, and now they're just a huge part of normal life. Yeah. You know, I own one pair of earphones that have a wire Mm. because they came with my phone. Yes. I have a couple of, I have one set of earphones. Um, They're wireless. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of sets of headphones. Both of them um, have the option of being wireless. Yes. Yeah. I like with my headphones to have the potential for a wire, case um, I'm at my desktop. Sometimes I like the wire, just because I don't have to worry about having my uh, having them charged up, yeah. and I'm not moving because I'm sat at my desktop.
1: But when you're in um, zero g, you don't want the wire, there, you so you you there. unplug it when you're not on your laptop.
0: Um, but I I certainly don't want to use my phone with a wire attached. Yeah. Um, You know, going for a run, walking down the street, literally anything. <laughs> I don't, don't want that. Wireless headphones are so useful in such a part of my normal life. You yeah. know, maybe not every day at the moment, but at times everyday life.
1: But know? it's also so weird because I feel like it wasn't that many years ago that you first got wireless headphones.
0: Yeah. I mean, it. It
1: was a while ago because we are now old and we've been together oh, a long time. Yeah, <laughs> but yes. Yeah. yeah, and I guess they didn't invent Bluetooth because is that Ericsson, um, yeah, mobile company. But the technology is that Ericsson's
0: still going.
1: Well, I don't know. They're now Sony Ericsson, aren't they? Oh yeah. yes. Oh, that was a long time uh, ago, wasn't it? But yeah, um, I think Bluetooth is named after a Viking person. But anyway. But, yeah, the technology that sort of underlies Bluetooth, because Bluetooth is like a particular form, right? Yeah. It's like wireless communication. Yeah. That's
0: we're, that's the we're other about. bit of tech that uh, I was going to mention was camera phones. So, you know, we, we potentially we'd have still had camera phones, but I don't really know what they would have been like. Mm. Um, so... Some technology started out at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab.
1: That's part of NASA, is it? Yeah. Oh. Um,
0: and they were they were working to reduce camera size for their space missions um, because, yep, <laughs> everything's smaller if you can. <laughs> um, and ultimately, this you know, this technology ended up being used in in our camera phones. Because it allows, you know, it allows for the camera phones to be quite thin,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: rather than mm-hmm. having to be like really bulky. Maybe you wouldn't want a phone if it was going to end up being the size it was otherwise. Yes, um, and it certainly wouldn't have been such high quality image either. Um, a guy called Mister Fossum.
1: That sounds a bit like a um, a Dickens character.
0: Yeah, it Mr. does a bit Fossum. actually who was working at JPL, invented this thing called Active Pixel Sensor. And they have, like, these amplifiers within each pixel that um, boosts the output that you get from every single photon that arrives in your camera. Mm. And that improves the quality of the image by quite a long way. Um, it also ultimately led to better battery life. It didn't drain your... drain the phone battery. Mm. As much, your um, image quality is better, but it also led to the ability to tilt, zoom, detect motion, target tracking, okay, and image compression right. as well, which are all obviously pretty useful or or liked yes. in some cases things. So camera phones just wouldn't be the same.
1: So do you think? Astronauts took the first selfie.
0: No. <laughs> um, the first selfie was taken by an old-fashioned
1: camera. Oh. Wasn't it? Probably.
0: I'm pretty sure I've read about
1: the first selfie before. It was probably like the first... Is it like Daguerre or someone? Mm. with his Daguerreotype or whoever. Oh. So, the astronauts did not give us the first selfie, but no. they led to camera phones.
0: Yeah. It being feasible to have a camera in your phone and it being so good at at so many different things whilst being so tiny. You Mm. know?
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think a similar but completely unrelated thing is, you know, those little teeny tiny... Handheld vacuum cleaners that you get for yeah. like sucking up little bits and pieces, like for
0: your car or whatever.
1: Yeah, and I think I've seen something kind of similar with like underwater like excavations, yeah, to clear up silt. So, in the same way, I think, um, in the Apollo missions, when they wanted to collect rock samples and they were drilling stuff, they would have a little hoover, yeah, um, to clear up the dust that they yeah. were making yeah cause it's
0: pretty different in such low gravity,
1: yes, and I also I love the sort of the names that crop up in these like the the company names that you're like I know those people vaguely um but NASA asked black and decker <laughs> um
0: <laughs> oh, I love that
1: can we can we please have um some things um can you
0: please make us a vacuum cleaner and can we also get a drill on the side
1: <laughs> yeah, and i I've never heard of these before, maybe it's that I don't buy hoovers um or maybe it's that they're not necessarily for sale in the uk i don't know no idea but um black and decker dust busters are what what came out so they were like the first brand of
0: things okay i think i want to get one now just for like just for the historical you know what i mean
1: yeah and then the kid can be like why have you got the hoover and the drill out? Like, I'm <laughs> recreating the moon landings. I think Some they're pretty more. pretty handy for cars, so I don't know if they'd also use it within, you know. Like, I don't know if that's like they took a packet of crisps up with them and they're like, oh, they us get the instruments. People,
0: thought, you know, yeah.
1: yeah, that probably sounded awful on the recording.
0: <laughs> I hope no one's wearing their wireless headphones. Uh, other random things, uh, Nike Air Trainers.
1: So you say Nike, not Nike. I
0: do, sorry. Oh, I don't know, I don't know what you're really meant to say. I think, well, it is Nike, but yeah. I'm from the UK and I'm from specific parts of the UK.
1: Well, I am also from the UK, so I don't know really what Air Trainers are.
0: Yes, that's fair. It's not something I would expect you to know.
1: I'm also not sporty. and i assume it's um, a sporty and thing. And
0: I have never worn them myself. But again, that could be a cultural thing within the UK of who would wear them. It yeah. might not translate across countries. Mm. Um, there are certain trainers that you get from Nike or Nike. Um, they're not like one set of trainers. You know, they have like a range. Like, right, okay. And they have really padded soles. Okay. Um, the reason that they're so squishy and kind of like bouncy and kind of comfortable is that they have lots of air in them.
1: Okay, that's why they're called air and trainers. That's why they're called
0: like air, yeah. Right, and this collection of, of putting, this collection of trainers that involves putting air in the bottoms in, mm. of these trainers, and um, to provide this cushioning, came from a guy called Frank Roddy. Okay. Who Frank Roddy or Frank Rudy? I don't know. Actually,
1: I also it's don't know. Rudy, isn't Rudy it? sounds more. It sounds like, more American. Yeah, that was basically what it was. Frank Roddy sounds like he's. I don't know. It's Very English. Yeah. It's a different Since kind of inventor. In
0: yeah. Well, I'm very sorry to all our American listeners there, um, for potentially and probably mispronouncing Frank's last name. He <laughs> might have got it right. He he was working at NASA at the time. Okay. And um,
1: dreaming about shoes.
0: Yeah, he was. He was just working at stuff in NASA for. The space missions, okay. uh, and and uh, he thought, hang on a minute, this could be in trainers. And so he he worked with Nike or Nike. Okay. On this, uh, I don't know. How, I don't know how NASA felt about that. So I assume, I assume they were fine with he it. He
1: was working at NASA and he put air in things, and then he was <laughs> like, i have got to go and work for. A shoe company and put air in their shoes? Is that basically the long and the short of it? Yes. Okay. Uh,
0: although, I don't know, I think it was more he worked with them rather than for them. Right, okay. Okay. I think it was more freelance and they probably paid him, but... Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, other random things. We maybe could have talked about this earlier, but... Um, I saved them for now. Um... Reducing the emissions from heating systems. So okay. you know we get emissions from a whole bunch of different things that we do in life, mm-hmm. um. But they they use this thing called miniaturized ceramic gas sensor technology. Right. I had to write that down because I didn't think I was going to remember it.
1: Small ceramic gas sensing. Yes. Right.
0: Okay. Um sensors that were used and are used to measure oxygen levels around satellites when they re enter the atmosphere is now being used um in heating, you know, like combustion. Right. Because it's all about, you know, gas. So no. it's being used to remove some of the harmful gases that, you know, exhaust gases from these right, systems. Okay. Um And it can reduce the fuel consumption by ten to fifteen percent, which I think is quite a lot, really. Yeah. You know, like that's like a noticeable amount.
1: Definitely. Well, when you then like replicate that on like
0: yeah, on a big scale. On a big scale. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Um. More vaguely environmental stuff, satellite-based systems.
1: Satellites are the answer to everything.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, can be used to reduce the CO2 emissions of vehicles. So SatNav, you know, we talked about GPS last time. SatNav technology um, has been adapted into something called a green drive system. Okay. um, In which the information is kind of combined on the type of car that you're driving and then the road conditions because, you know, it knows where you are because it's sad nav. nav. And, like, the the um, traffic or whatever. Mm. You know, kind of like your, your whole situation. Yes. Around your car and in your car to advise you when you should be accelerating, when you should be braking, when you should be, you know... How you should be driving, yes, obviously, <laughs> you have to be aware of the road conditions around you mm-hmm. in terms of other drivers, but um and it helps to reduce fuel usage by fifteen to twenty five percent which you know is is considerable as well, if you think about if every car
1: yes had that um, yeah, 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 because I guess we're used to um not that I drive or have ever known anyone with a sat nav. I don't think. Um, but um, I'm you surprised su- your
0: dad doesn't know.
1: <laughs> no, he probably does, but he's yeah. probably got three. Probably got three that were like a bargain somewhere. So
0: we love um, you if you're listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, my mum <laughs> listens to this, but she'll be like, "Yeah, that's exactly. That <laughs> is exactly right. He has. He's got five. Two of them don't work <laughs> anymore, they're still in the car." And the other three tell three different ways of getting somewhere <laughs> and he doesn't follow any of them. But anyway, um, yeah, they like they can tell you like traffic situations, can't they? So then uh, we know that when you're stuck in traffic, it's not great for, you know, generally you have, like, yeah. the motor running and not actually doing anything. Um, and
0: cars have got better at that these days. Yeah. Um, oh. For sure. But, yeah. Yeah.
1: But there's there's a lot of sort of um, odd things related to, um, you know, how you drive and how that is for your fuel consumption and Mm -hmm. your... um,
0: And town driving and rural driving are very different and being used to one and not the other Mm -hmm. as well can impact on things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. My my last of the um, kind of environmental, random things, mm. is making wind turbines more efficient Okay. through um, a remote sensing technology that came from space. Mm. So, um, similar to an instrument that's being used on an ESA mission, a, an instrument has been built to measure accurately the direction and speed of the wind mm. and therefore it can help us or help the people running the turbine mm. to make decisions about more efficient use of the turbine because yeah. you know wind turbines are fantastic but their efficiency is very dependent on you know lining it up correctly yeah. and yeah. Um, getting all of them synced up with each other. Yeah. If you've got more than one on the site
1: and stuff. Because so when you've got more than one, that then affects the air around it, the airflow, so then you can't just... They need yes. to be separated in certain bits and maybe you And you want certain them to running. all be
0: kind of, like, going with the the wind. Yeah. <laughs> and not disrupting the airflow, like you say, and therefore disrupting the wind around all the other ones. Yeah. Um,
1: And also what I found crazy how many years ago is, you know, you got a wind turbine, more wind, more power, but they shut them down because it actually um, damages them (laughs) if they spin in too high wind. So I guess there's also like that element of if it gets too fast, then they might shut down. As well, from yeah, a presumably, sensing.
0: because you, especially if you know that the data you're getting is more accurate, because yeah. you would imagine and hope that they always are on the side of caution and they're going to shut down before they think yeah it's an issue, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, and if they're more confident in, in knowing what the wind speed is and how close to that limit they're getting... Mm-hmm they might not have to shut down so early, Yeah. you know, and yeah. stuff like
1: that, so yeah. I think there's also there's something kind of similar that's called, like, miniaturized, again with the miniaturised thing, because, you know, small is better in space. Uh, like, miniaturised electromechanical systems, or MEMS, I think, which um, they're everywhere in mean, anything ever, but basically... Something to do with it converts sort of electrical signals to mechanical right. action, yeah. and I think you get them in like your in your washing machine and other r- random things, like so many different things. But one thing that they're in is in um, uh, your car airbags, so that they can sense when, when you break or uh, I guess right. something breaks for you, <laughs> um, as it were. And then triggers the, like,
0: um,
1: release of the airbag. Um, So there's, like, a whole load of different sort of um, situations that they're used in. And basically, again, it's, like, they've made really tiny sort of electronic systems um, for space, which then ultimately has been a technology that's been used everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: really. But, yeah. Quite a lot.
0: Quite a lot. Yeah, and and loads of other ones, you know. Um,
1: Including non-stick frying pans.
0: If you have digging, you can find lots more. Um, Some random things with no explanation, just because some of them made me smile. Freeze-dried food that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Ear thermometers. Okay. Very common these days. And water filters. Yeah. For, you know, for making your water drinkable.
1: And um, clean. Which I guess is important when you're on the space station. And I'm guessing that maybe all of your water comes from Wii, does it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay, right, yeah. Which yeah. bare grills or maybe other uh, survival people do anyway without a filter. So I'd choose the <laughs> filtered option myself.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, this has been a fun, you know, chat about things that space has done for you. Yeah. For us. Um, We've managed to cover two episodes with it because we had a lot that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. I hope that it's helped to convince you, Al, that space has done stuff for us. Because I, I know that you, you know that deep down, but you always joke to me about What's the point, you know? Yeah, In fact, I think... I think you've doped about it at the, on the very first episode.
1: Yeah, I think for oh, me, it's... it's more... It's not necessarily that I don't think that space has done anything, right? I guess I just feel like... There's a lot of effort that goes into space, mm-hmm. right? And at the same time, we could put a lot of effort into other things, you know? In terms of time, money... Uh, and if it's just to get nice pictures of galaxies and a non stick frying pan, then maybe we should prioritise other things. But it turns out actually. Yeah,
0: thankfully, it's not just non stick It's
1: not just non stick frying pan. Which I have a particular pet peeve given that I am apparently a very stick <laughs> frying pan person. Um, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, potentially
0: in the future. We might talk about how, actually, whilst a lot of effort and money goes into space, it's the the funding that science gets is very small by comparison to many other things. Yeah, but that is not a conversation for just now.
1: No, Um, yeah, I guess I can say space has definitely impacted the world society Um, in a lot of cases for a lot of good. So, yeah.
0: Thanks, I mean, we have NASA. also picked ones where it's done. It's benefited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah.
0: that was the brief that you sent me.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's also nice to have a couple of sort of positive episodes as well.
0: Not, the, not the <laughs> well, other that other
1: episodes are not positive, but just like, you know, a lot of the time you hear things and it's like, oh, um, the world is awful. Um Hell in a handcart mm. um, Feels a bit like it right now. Yeah, and it's just nice to be like, oh, well, some, like, just random nice things exist, yes. you know? Um, including the Black & Decker bus <laughs> bus dusters, <laughs> dust busters, available from all good retailers. Um, we don't
0: know what they are,
1: though. We <laughs> <laughs> don't know what they are. Um, if, Black, if Mr Black and Mr Decker are listening, we are available for sponsorship.
0: Uh, (laughs) if they want to give us a free little hoover
1: yeah
0: i'd love that i mean first of all our hoover is rubbish but secondly i would just have it like in my astro collection of things that's that's some good history yeah yeah okay well thank you for listening to yet another uh episode and uh we'll see you next week
1: so that just about wraps things up for this episode Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts. And if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show and it makes it easier for more people to find us.
0: Feel free to send us any comments, questions or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com.
1: And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.